Hey, we're going to read together in Matthew 16. If you stand to your feet, um, we're going to read the scriptures, and it's going to be interactive. How's that? Are you awake? <laughs> I like sometimes when I preach to like youth, I say, hey, the more bored you look, the more boring I'm, I'm going to preach. So if you look excited, I might just preach excited, you know? So let's wake up. <laughs> Sound good? Okay, now this is a passage you've probably heard before, but I just want you to engage with it in a fresh new way because I think that God has a fresh new message and what he wants to speak to us here um, in, our, in our W series. We believe in who we are, what we do, where we're going, and why we do. Thank you for knowing it, sir. This week, where we are going, where we are going, we're going we're gonna to read together in Matthew 16, starting in verse th- uh, 13. This is what it says. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? What he's saying there is, hey, what does everybody else say about who I am? Ask your neighbor, who do you say Jesus is? Just hit him. Nudge him. Say, hey, who do you say he is? Who's your grandma think he is? Who's your neighbor think he is? Who does Donald Trump think he is? Who does Justin Bieber think he is? This is what he said. Hey, what are people saying about me out there? You tell me. And then they said to him, some say you're John the Baptist. Everybody said, that's weird. Why is that weird? Because he's dead. He don't have a head. His head, was, his head was taken off. John the Baptist is dead, and it's Jesus' cousin, so that's a little weird that people are saying that, but that's what they're saying apparently. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Somebody said, that's weird. Why is that weird? Because Elijah lived 900 years before Jesus did. And others say you're Jeremiah. That's weird, because he lived 600 years before Jesus. Okay? These are super weird answers, by the way. And for whatever reason, Jesus doesn't really care, apparently, because he goes on to say nothing about their crazy answers. He goes on to look at them in their eye and say, yeah, but who do you say that I am? As if he's saying, I actually don't really care what you think other people think about me. I actually just really care what you think about me. I'm concerned with who you think that I am, not who you think other people think that I am. And this is what our faith is. It's not riding on somebody else's coattails. It's us declaring Jesus' identity for our life, for our faith, for ourself. It's the most important question ever asked, I think, but I don't have time to really preach on that tonight. We've got to keep moving. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, Uh, Simon Bar-Jonah, that just means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the church said, amen. Amen. There's victory that is going to be had because it's already been won. The gates of hell will not prevail against the declaration, the identity, and the knowledge of who Jesus is. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged them to tell no one that he was the Christ. Keep going. Verse 21. Listen. Listen to the timeline. 
He asks them who he, who he is. They, they recognize him for the first time in history who he actually is. It's the first time in history that anybody's recognized him for the anointed one that he is. And then it says this, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day raised. And Peter being the Bible scholar that he is, knowing the scripture that says, rebuke your brother when he's in the wrong, knowing that what Jesus is saying is crazy, pulls him aside and rebukes him. He says, surely not, Lord. This will never happen to you. You're the Christ. We just figured that out. You're the anointed one. We just determined that. And so why now at this juncture would you go towards Jerusalem and give your life over to be killed? That'll never happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You ever called Satan before? Probably don't feel good. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Just moments earlier, moments earlier, more than any other human in history, he was the very one that had set his mind on the things of God, recognized the things of God. And then in, in the quickest turn of the tides, here he finds himself being rebuked and being called Satan by his Savior. Why? Because though he recognized what God was doing in a moment, that was not a guarantee that he would continue to walk in it unless he continued to set his mind and his heart on God's ways and God's thoughts, not on the thoughts of man. One more verse. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him or her deny himself Take up his cross, the instrument of death, and follow me. If anybody is desiring to come after me and to be my disciple, just know this. It's going to mean that you take up your cross, you deny your own life, you surrender it unto death, and then you come and follow me. I don't know what a preacher invited you into the day that you raised your hand and gave your life to Jesus, but that's the invitation from Jesus, that we would die. And this is not a Debbie Downer moment. This is, a, this is a magnificent, magnificent sermon that we get to lay down our life and our selfishness and our ways and the ways of the world and the thoughts of man that we could surrender all of that and fully give ourselves to God that we would find our life instead of lose it. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for more than just your word that's found in the scriptures, but your word that's alive right now through the power of your spirit. We thank you that it's not based on my ability, uh, my articulation, or anything like that, but that together we came to meet with you, and we trust the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. Hey, so there's two types of people in this world. Have you heard that before? There's two types of people in this world, and, and I did the research this week. It's very scientific. It's very calculated, 
is very intricate into your mind and your heart and your behaviors and all these things. And so I just want to introduce to you my findings this week, and we could determine just who's in our, in our faith family, uh, because there are two types of people. If you check this out, you are either, uh, put that first one up here, you are either that person or that person. <laughs> right? There's just two types of people. Come on, where's the cut? Where's the straight, the cut in half people? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're the if you're the diagonal cutter. Yes. Perfect. There's only two types of people in this world. Put the next one up. Okay. Listen, listen. If you are on the right, you got a problem. I'm just saying right now. Just snooze every nine minutes, like. Okay, here's the deal. Set an alarm for when you want to wake up and then wake up, right? Some of you, the headings, the, the headings are like, wake up. Nine minutes later, no, seriously, get your butt up. Nine minutes later, get out of it. Like, who, who's the snoozers in here, right? Identify yourselves. We're never sharing a camper at man camp. Come on, people. There's two types of people in this world. There's two types of people in this world. Those that can stand little red dots on their phone and those that cannot stand little red dots on their phone. I know a few of these people that cannot stand it if they have a little notification. Is there any can't stand the notification people out here? And then there's my wife who literally has 5,987 emails in her inbox and I'm like, why even have email at that point? It's ridiculous. Like, I think, I think Kareem... Kareen Link has 25,000 emails. Like, that number is going across her screen. It's ridiculous. There's two types of people in this world. This is one of my favorite ones right here. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Oh, this one gets me riled up. No, I'm so serious about this. I cannot stand you people on the left. I cannot stand you people on the left. Come on, who's with me? No, no. Going back behind so you got to reach down and find that thing? That's ridiculous. And I tried telling Jessica, this is not how we do it in this house. I'm the man of this house. We go over the top. It's got to be readily available. Now, now, who's the behind the guy? Who's the behind the behind? Yeah, it's all girls. I know it is. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, but... Do girls care which direction it goes? Because guys care. You do? Thank you. Dude in the back is like, what are we getting at here? Get under the preaching. Come on, guy. Why are you talking about our, about our bathroom? Don't worry. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere with this. One more. Two types of people in this world. <laughs> there's the illogical people on the left. And there's the calculated logical people on the right. You know, like you're sitting there and your friend walks in and says, hey, come on, let's go. And you're like, I had no plans. Okay, let's go. No, no, no. If you're logical, you're going to say, where are we going? I need to know where I'm going. I need to know the plan. When you go on vacation, I don't just hop in the car and say, oh, let's just go where the wind takes us. <laughs> who's, the, who's the wind takes us type of people? Show me. Show me where you're at. I love it. I mean, I don't love it, but I love you. I'm like, okay, yo, let, let's come up with a plan. Let's write an itinerary. Let's get a, number one, A, B, and C. Number two, right? 
because I want to know exactly where I'm going. When I drive to work in the morning, it's calculated. I'm going to take the fastest route every time. And sometimes I'm hanging out with my wife, and she's like, hey, let's, let's ride together. And I'm like, wait, but both of our cars are downtown. That doesn't make sense. She goes, dating me doesn't even make sense. Let's just ride together. But I'm, I'm like, I'm so logical because I need to know where I'm going and does it make, does it make sense? Do the steps make sense? Does the plan make sense? I need to number it out. Because I'm biblical. <laughs> right? Because the Bible says without vision, the people perish. Who cares if that's taken out of context? I need to know the vision. Right? The A-L- AKA D version says, and I quote, and that's the American logical AKA duh version, says, unless I know exactly where I'm going and how God you're going to get me there, then I'm not going to go because if I do, I might die. And the problem with people like me is that we follow a going God. And he doesn't seem to be actually too concerned with describing to us our destination and our route before he tells us to start going. And that's a struggle for me. Because I want to know, am I going to get to the place on the map that I want to get to? And is my route to get there a straight line? And am I going to know exactly each step of the way, God, because I'm afraid that I'm going to die unless you tell me. But we serve a going God, a moving God. When he says, follow me, it's because he's actually moving somewhere. And he's not always interested in telling us exactly what it's going to look like along the way. He sometimes just wants to get us moving. It's like, you know when a preacher starts a sermon and they read the Bible, which is good, and then they start talking about all this crazy stuff like toilet paper. And, you're, and then they say a line like, Hey, I'm going somewhere with this. And all the while, you're thinking to yourself, what is this guy doing? This doesn't make any sense. This has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. But the preacher says, hey, I'm going somewhere with this. And you think to yourself, no, you ain't. You don't know what you're doing. Or you think to yourself, well, I know you. And if I trust the source, I know that probably somewhere along the line in the sermon is going to make sense. Because here's the truth. If you trust the source, you don't have to know why it makes sense right now. You just get to trust that it's going to make sense in the end. And Peter found himself in one of these situations. You see, in Matthew 16, Jesus was sort of in the center, as it were, the center of his ministry. He had come alive. He, he was healing people. He was performing miracles. He was preaching and people were listening to him. He was, he was gaining recognition on the social media platforms and people were tweeting about his life and he was being invited to all the conferences all over Israel and, and he was really gaining a platform to be doing the ministry that he was doing. He was right in the center of his calling. And he says, I'm gonna take this success and I'm going somewhere with it. I'm going somewhere with this. And he goes way out here to the edge of his platform. Am I still in the light? Right there? 
He went to the far edge to this little place called Caesarea Philippi, which is on the, the very northern edge of Israel. The very tip of Israel, furthest place from uh, Jerusalem. And he, he, he takes his disciples to the furthest place from all the people in the ministry that he wants to accomplish. He takes it somewhere else. To this city that if you did a little research, you would find out that this city is actually full of deistic identity. For the Syrian god Pan had a temple in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, the, Greek, the Greek deity, as it were, uh, Baal, there's a, there a temple of Baal there. There was a temple for Pan there. It was a center for the, the Roman godhead, godhead Caesar. And it was in this place where all this religious commotion was going on. He brings his disciples and he asks them for the first time, who do you say that I am? And they recognize him. They identify him. They declare it. You're the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. So he takes his flourishing ministry and he says, I'm going somewhere. And he takes his disciples. This place that's all about identity. And he asks a question of his identity. For the first time he asked anybody, who am I really? And for the first time, he told somebody, you are blessed. It's the first time Jesus ever specifically told anybody that they were blessed. He told Peter, you're blessed for recognizing me. And the very next thing that he did was say from then on, he started describing for them that he's going back to Jerusalem, back with this identification of who he is, back with this knowledge of salvation, back with their recognition of his Godhead, and I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going back to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be put on a tree, and I'm going to be killed. And then there's Peter who just thinks to himself, surely this is impossible. This cannot be part of the plan. This doesn't make sense. It's not logical. You're the Savior. You just, we finally figured it out. What you should be doing at this point is getting some chariots and some horses and getting an army and building a militia, and let's go and let's take this thing down. There's no way that once we finally recognize who you are, now you're going to start telling us that you are going to be put to death? That doesn't make sense. How could you possibly be going to do that? And Jesus says, I'm... I'm going somewhere with this. And you don't have to understand it right now, but you will. So, so Peter rebukes him, and Jesus rebukes him back, and he says, what you're doing is you're lining up with the evil one. He didn't call, he didn't really mean you are Satan physically. He meant what Satan's job is to be an adversary. That's what Satan actually means, is adversary. He says, Peter, you're lining up with the evil one. You're being an adversary to me right now in this moment. Correct your mind and correct your heart and set your mind back on the things of God, not on the things of man. Because I'm going somewhere, and you might not understand it now, but it's going to be good, and it's going to be victorious, and it's going to be for you. 
And Peter found himself in this place that we often find ourselves in when we don't understand. You know, usually when we have a, a plan for something and we're, we're strolling along and we give our life to God and we say, here you go, you can have it. I heard good things about you. Take my life. They told me, they told me a lot of good promises of what you would do with this thing when I give it to you. And he says, you're right. Give it to me. And I'm going to go somewhere with it. But then when we see him walk the different direction that we thought he was going to walk with our life, we start experiencing a couple things, like fear and frustration. Fear that, wait, that's not the plan. Frustration that it's not working out the way I thought it was going to work out. Fear and frustration that, no, 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 I didn't make a mistake. What are you doing with it? Are you really good, God? Are you really for me, God? Can I really trust you, God? And, and the fears and the frustrations sometimes creep into us. And then we start thinking, oh, no, if this fear and this frustration is correct, then I know what's going to happen. It's going to be failure. I'm not going to make it in life. I'm not going to be that person that I want to be. I'm not going to find that spouse that I want to find. I'm not going to get the job that I want. I'm not going to have the money that I, that I wanted to have. I had, a, I had a life plan for myself. And you said, give me your life, and I'm going to take it somewhere. And, and now I'm experiencing fear and frustration that where it's going is actually going to lead to failure. And that's the moment where we have the opportunity where we're either going to back away, walk away, or run away from what God has planned for us because we can't foresee the future, or we're going to choose to trust him in the moment where we can't see what's coming. In light of our fear, our frustration, and possible failure, if we choose to continue to trust him and put our minds on the things of God, it's in that moment that we experience freedom. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release it in my heart to you. And when you truly release it, and you're free of your own will, you're free of your own plan, it's at that moment that you can actually follow him. And once you follow him, it's in those moments that you can find fruit in him. I think sometimes we, we say, God, I'm going to give you my life, and we expect him to perform and produce, and yet we still hold on to our life. And we don't follow him. God is a moving God. It's all over the place. God says to Abram, I want you to get up from this land that you're in, and I want you to go somewhere. Go to a land that I will show you. And that's what God does is he gets him up and he sends him on the way. And Abram, if he didn't obey God because he didn't know the route and didn't know the destination, didn't know the plan, then where would we be today? But God is a going God, and he's a sending God. And he says, I'm going to take you somewhere. Just trust me. And so he sends him. He comes to Moses in the mountain, in the, in the, way far away from where his people were in Egypt. And he says, Moses, I want you to get up, and I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to take my people, and I want you to take them somewhere. Because I'm going somewhere, and I want to lead them, and I need you to go for me and lead them. 
And so he sends Moses, and he leads them. And he, and he goes to Israel, and he says, Israel, I'm going somewhere. Come with me. It's going to go through a sea. It's, gonna, it's not going to be the shortest route straight across to the promised land. It's going to be down around a windy route that doesn't make sense on your map. It's going to be through an ocean that I'm going to dry up, and then I'm going to lead you. And then he brings them to the promised land, and he says, go in there. And they didn't trust him. He says, I'm trying to take you somewhere, but you're not following. And because of their doubt, because of their fear, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40, 40 years, and most of them died off. And so finally, there was a few people that could lead all of Israel and say, God, I trust that you're going somewhere. Even though they look like giants, even though we look like grasshoppers, we know that you're going somewhere with us, and we can trust you, so we're going too. See, we serve a going God. He's on the move. He doesn't just invite us to intellectually put our faith in him in a church building. I don't know what you heard when the preacher said, do you want to give your life to the Lord? When he said, give your life to God and he will bless you. Give your life to God and, and, and everything will be well. Give your life to God and you will receive peace that transcends all understanding. Well, I'm here to tell you, those things are all true, but it doesn't often look like what we think it's going to look like when we're looking through the lens of the world. When we set our mind and our heart on the things of God and the ways of God, it's through that lens that we can accurately recognize what's going on in our life and in this planet to understand why things are happening the way that they're happening. If we truly will lay down our life, carry our cross, and follow him, it's in those moments that we'll find fruit. He's going somewhere. He's not a stagnant God, or he wouldn't have said, follow me. If we're going to follow him, it means that he's going somewhere. And we need to start going that place too. This is who we serve. He's a going God. He says, I'm going to take your sin, and I'm going somewhere with it. I'm going to take your faults, and I'm going somewhere with it. I'm going to take all the things that you feel shame about, and I'm going somewhere with it. It's called the cross. And then when I get off that cross, I'm going to go down into the depths of hell, and I'm going to take those keys, and I'm going somewhere with them. I'm going to open the, 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 the cellars, and I'm going to let the captives free. And then he, he takes his body that's in the grave, and he says, no, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'm going to prove to all of humanity who I am. And then he takes his very self, and he says, hey, disciples, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going back to heaven. Why? Because I'm going to send you my spirit. And when I put my spirit in you, believe me, I'm not asking you to sit around. I'm asking you to go somewhere with it. And I came here tonight to ask you, if God is going somewhere, are you going somewhere? Is the baton going to fall with you because you're sitting still and you're not doing anything? Because God is a going God. And if a going God lives inside of us, then we got to be going somewhere too. See, he says, I'm going to give you forgiveness, and what are you going to do with it? Well, I know what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to take the preaching of the gospel, the forgiveness that he's given me, and the love that he's given me, and I'm going to go somewhere with it. I'm going to share it with people. I'm going to share what he's given me because he stepped out of heaven for my sake so I can step out of my comfort zone for his sake and for their sake. He's going somewhere. Where are you going? We're going somewhere. We're going all over the city. 
We're going after 10% first, but that's just the beginning. I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about people. We are. That's one place we're going. Heart of the City Church is going after a tithe of this city because that's what God spoke to our pastors, and we're on board in unity because we're better together, and we're going, that's where we're going. We're not going to a location or a location here or a building here. That, no, no. All of this doesn't matter if it's not for you. You matter. The you that wasn't in this place and in this family two years ago, you mattered then, and so somebody else matters now. 45,000-something people in this city, and you're number 31,312, and your number matters. Because you ain't just a number. You're a person that Jesus said, for you, I'll go to the cross for that. Because your family matters, and your kids matter. And your cousin who's still uh, shooting heroin matters. And that person at work that screams at you and condemns you because you're a Jesus freak and they're hating on you. And you know, hey, this is my invitation to go somewhere with them. And I know that I'm not going to get them there by rebuking them back and yelling at them back. But what I do know is that love wins. And it's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. You know what I say? When people punch you in the face, that's the person that's going to experience the love of God when you respond in kindness, not the person that doesn't have anything against you. And yeah, I've been punched in the face before. He might be in this room. <laughs> He's in the lobby. Seriously, when people respond to you out of anger and brokenness, what I've begun learning to do is say, you know what? It's not about me, and it's not about this situation. There's something deeper going on. And I want to help find that thing, and I want to go somewhere with it. Because this is who our God is. He's a God on the move. So we're going after people. What's our next step? Well, we're going to try and plant a campus downtown. That's one place we're going. We're going to try and plant a campus downtown. But then we're going somewhere else. I don't know where we're going to go, but we're going to figure it out together. We might go to Post Falls. We might go to Athol. We might go to Sandpoint. We might, we might go, go to Kellogg. I don't know where we're going to go, but we're going somewhere. That's what we know. And we know that as God reveals to us his plan, we surrender to it, and then we go. And we don't know the whole route yet, but we know that we're willing to go. Yeah. Are you coming with us? This is an exciting thing. We, we, we're so pumped that we're not just the frozen chosen sitting in this building. Right. right? This is not a holy huddle that we're just hanging out in for the rest of our life. No, no, we're going somewhere. We have purpose. You have purpose. I don't care if you got gray hair on your head. I got some too. And we're going somewhere. Sister, are you with me? Come on. I can say that because I got lots of them. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter if you're older or younger, if you're taller or shorter, if you think you're gifted or not gifted, it doesn't matter who you are. If you will never stand on this stage or not, you're with us and we're with you and we're going somewhere together. Are you coming with us? We're going after people and we're never going to stop. Where are we going today? I'll tell you where our money's going today. Two local elementary schools. 
And we're trusting that God is going to preach his gospel through that giving. Where's our money going today? Cambodia, a country that's been flipped upside down because when, when the evil genocide hit that nation and the darkness came, it gave an opportunity for light to shine bright. That's where we're going with our Thanksgiving offering this year. Because when God says, I give you love, I want you to go somewhere with it, we say yes and thank you. When he says, I'm going to give you my forgiveness and I want you to go somewhere with it, we say absolutely, it's the only response that makes sense. When God says, I'm going to give you however many dollars I give you and all I ask is that you just give some back to me, we say, oh, thank you, Lord, for letting me keep this big pile over here. I'm going to give back because it's the only reasonable response because I should go somewhere with all that you've given me. And we're on the move. I hope you'll come with us.